Good morning. It is Monday, December 23rd, 9.14 a.m. Kind of getting off to a late start today. It's uh, just busy doing some research for this episode. I hope you all had a good week. I had kind of a an action-packed week, just full of work, you know. <laughs> so not exciting action, just a lot of work. So, yeah, let's get started on this big honker of an episode. Uh, This is part three in the Romania series with the focus on Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu. I want to talk to you guys more about life in Romania, what it was like under their rule. So you can get an even clearer picture leading up to the revolution. So there, today in history, December 23rd actually marks the day that they were, that Nikolai and Elena were um, basically held captive by the new regime and awaiting their trial. So we're going to back up a little bit before that. And I want to, I want to, um, break it down into a couple parts here. So I'm going to first talk to you guys about to give you to paint you a, a as vivid a portrait as I can of of life in Romania gathered from my research. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what sparked the revolution. Okay? All right. So Romania was completely isolated from the rest of the world's influence. It was a, it was basically a, um, governed by a cult of personality of the Ceausescu's. They were portrayed in, you know, large kind of semi-photographic posters everywhere. They were on TV two hours a day, you know, just reports about them, stale newsreels about them constantly in perpetuity. TV was only allowed, was only on two hours a day to save energy. And it was usually propaganda about them. They were, their presence was always kind of felt through the tentacles of the Securitate, which was their secret police, which there's conflicting notions on how how far the reach of the Securitate was. Some some civilians say that they felt fear everywhere they went, and then other civilians, usually those in slightly higher up positions said that they didn't, that it was bunk, that it was exaggerated by the Western news media. It's probably just a little bit of both, and depending on how how you navigated your personal life, probably had something to do with that. So you're under constant surveillance in some form, Jealousy was a very... A lot of people were jealous of their neighbors and vice versa. Uh, 
a lot because everyone was looking to see who had what because everything was rationed. So a typical, your ration usually consisted of one kilo of flour and sugar and one liter of oil. The oil was an unrefined soy oil and the flour was usually mixed with something. So some kind of filler could be sawdust. The, the food line started at 2 a.m. And everyone had a job. There's one thing, though. Everyone had a job. So they had some, some money, but they didn't, they weren't able to buy anything with it. There was no, there wasn't enough to go around for the people. And the reason why is because in the 70s, and early 80s, uh, Nikolai Ceausescu was trying to pay off, I think, $6 billion of their national debt uh, from, from foreign lenders. And so he exported, they exported every single natural resource. And they were, you know, bust the, a lot of Romanians were busting their hump around the clock in some form to get this, get these um, items produced and shipped out, but their own, their own resources for their own civilian life were very, very scant, and they pretty much got the dregs. Like meat, you could forget about having meat. So they would, they would have these tiny chickens that were that weighed less than a pound. There or maybe less than half a pound in some accounts because by the accounts I read they were average size was a little smaller than a pigeon okay uh, no bananas even bananas were very rare those were almost kind of contraband because that was something that was obviously not handled by communist hands and so they suspected the powers that be you know, the Ministry of, you know, Health suspected bananas for some reason, which is ridiculous. But yeah, so bananas, you could get those on the black market and they were a huge treat. Um, coffee was not allowed. So instead they drink this stuff called Neshazol, which was non-caffeinated and it had a little tiny bit of coffee in it and it was mixed with a nebulous, unregulated substance. And so there was fake cheese. And back to the meat, what you would get besides a chicken, a tiny chicken, if you're lucky, uh, you'd have chicken claws, you'd have salami made from bone meal, with little bits of bone sticking out of it. They had this gum called gumela, which apparently tasted like crap and was this weird gray color. So that that was just oh there's one more thing. Oh oh yeah, the crackers that were imported from North Korea and they're made up of they were made of ground up shrimp shells, like crustacean shells. So, I mean, that's that's double bad. That's double bad having a first of all having eating any kind of thing imported from North Korea sounds awful and then it being made out of ground up shrimp shells oh so nasty so gnarly so yeah um 
what they would do is they would force soldiers, teachers, and students to participate in what was called Practica Agricola. And everyone had to, to harvest crops all day. So they would just pull them out of, you know, when it was time for harvesting. And there were strict quotas too. So you could be, have your ration book taken away. You could get your school credit taken away if you didn't meet these strict quotas for harvesting all these fruits and and all the all the crops which would be then exported so you wouldn't even really get to have any fruits of your labor i mean i did i couldn't get any information on whether what would happen if you like ate an apple or something that I'd probably get sent to jail but that's just speculation on my part uh ironically for a time the american television program dallas was allowed to air and uh, Ceausescu actually paid Larry Hagman to use his image in anti-capitalist propaganda. Uh, they had they had Dallas on there um, as a form of like subversive anti-capitalist propaganda like look at these horridly bloated capitalists look at them in their wealth and all this but it backfired because, <laughs> I mean, those people it just gave people a small taste of what the other side may have had. Um, so people were would see someone who had, like a neighbor, maybe they'd see them with an extra loaf of bread or something, and they would say to themselves, where did they get that? Oh, my God, I was waiting in line for that. Who did they talk to to get that bread? Uh, bread was a huge issue. Um, a lot of times the bread was stale by the time you got it. And there was kind of a, a theory going that if you had that if you had a bakery that um, you would you were required by the government to um, bake the bread and then let it sit for a day and then distribute it because if it was stale the people would buy less bread so that's because the bread that by the time you got the bread it was often stale and so that was the conclusion that was drawn by the general populace um there was a a system a systemization of the peasantry which romania is made up largely of 40 agrarian villages and as I've mentioned in my previous episode the Ceausescu's had a palace in each little village and he considered the the peasant the homes of the peasants to in their surroundings to be not majestic enough you know, in context to his glorious palaces that he built, basically on the backs of Romanian labor with all, primarily all the, draining all the natural resources of Romania to build these castles. Um, The Palace of the People in Bucharest was not even finished by the time the regime was over. It was completed, I think they 
completed the building of that like in 1996 or something. Um, so if it, it and that is actually that building the Palace of the People is one of the the largest square footage buildings in the entire world. And it basically takes over all of Bucharest. <laughs> so if that gives you, um, and Romania is a pretty small country, so if that gives you an idea, um, you have 40 smaller palaces and you have this giant palace um, of all the natural resources and raw materials which were used to build build these um, these edifices. So they what they did was they kind of relocated everyone into these government flats that were very poorly built that were uninsulated made of cement block. So you know you have your little wood house, you know, uh with you know your wood burning stove and and your your yard and your chickens and and that sort of thing, your 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 decently sized chickens and you have your little plot of land that you use for your, you know, to feed your family with. Uh, and then that gets taken away and you have to have rations. And there was a government controlled central heating system for each block of flats. And those in the wintertime were kept at 10 degrees. So that means you constantly had like your hot water going and like your, um, you were heating your water because there were, I'll get to that in a moment. You were heating your water on the stove and you constantly had your stove on. They had smaller gas valves on the stoves. So not as much gas could get through. There were a lot of injuries and deaths resulting in gas leaks when people tried to adjust the valves to get more heat. Sometimes the pilot lights would go out in the middle of the night if there wasn't enough gas. And then when they, when someone would turn the stove on, you know, disaster would ensue. A lot of these, well, pretty much most of all of them did not have indoor plumbing either. So you're living in an apartment that has no heat, no, no hot water and no indoor plumbing. So you'd have to go to this communal kind of latrine outhouse behind your apartment that had no real sewage flow. There was no septic tank attached to it. It was a primitive, even more primitive than your cottage that you'd formerly lived in. And that's where you would go make pee pee and poop back there. And it was especially difficult for older people to do something as basic as going to the bathroom because you had to go all the way down the stairs and then you had to walk who knows how far to just to use the bathroom and so a lot of times they would have to use they were forced to use a bucket or something and then a younger member of the family would be in charge of dumping the chamber pot so to speak so it, it brought them to even more primitive conditions than when they were living in as peasantry. So it was a very, I mean, just those, those things that we take so much for granted. I mean, I've tried to take cold showers before because I heard that it's 
good for you. And I have rinsed with cold water before, just as a bracing element. When I lived in Houston, I rinsed with cold water all the time and everything because it was so hot. It, it would actually just cool down my hot skin. But that was my choice. Like I had a choice in the matter. And I take for granted having a hot, you know, a water heater. It's just, ugh. Having a cold shower is just awful. If you don't have the choice. Ugh. And just just the weird kinds of food that were not delicious ever. And them being this kind of ersatz versions of food. While the real food that your country produced would be sent to other countries. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. Uh, They also had done away with Christmas and his uh, his replacement was named Mosquerilla and he would come on December 30th to um, give children gifts and he wore gray flannel slacks and was kind of like looked, looked like a communist propaganda poster guy um but he was also depicted as being somewhat gaunt at times. So yeah, it was just they were they were stripped of of uh, their basic Christmas Christmas cheer even. Um, before that was Mos Krasut, which was their Santa Claus, so to speak. Um, a lot of the orthodoxy in and. The Orthodox Church in Romania, in in any any organized religion that was there, was very much suppressed and controlled. A lot of churches and monasteries were destroyed, and there was the the churches ironically held the last link though to the pagan traditions of of the farmers there. They were a lot of the the orthodox <clears throat> values and their their saints and the parallels came from ancient pagan roots and it and and uh, it was born in the soil of R- Romania's origins so when they would so when the government would come through and systemize each little village they would destroy them destroy the monasteries they would imprison and torture the priests and the nuns and they would force them into into hiding and you know i myself i'm not a christian you know i'm i'm an agnostic um i was raised christian you know and i don't think that I agree with everything that the Bible says, but I, I can't imagine not having the freedom to, to make that choice and basically having having uh, people that I have known since I was a baby being thrown into prison and being tortured because they still believe in God. It's just, that's, that just, that just breaks my heart. They a lot of the a lot of the monasteries would 
turn into little factories. They would, they would, they themselves would convert their own monastery into a factory and they would make, you know, just, I guess, whatever products they could think of, um, you know, maybe try to make bottle of beverage or something and free enterprise was discouraged so they would have to channel it through the government but at least they they kind of held on a little bit um there so you have so you're basically stripped of of you know your last and your most basic um civil right as a civilian you know the freedom of of worship so if you were if you were a believer in in God and you did you did go to church like that may have been your one comfort you know what i mean that might have been the thing that could help get help you get through the day and that's a very personal and private thing that no one no one should they can disagree with your belief system and your fundamental values but i feel it's so damaging to just you know storm through and and tell someone that they can't have their their belief system it's just it's so destructive to humanity so that that really caused so many more problems because that was the thing that was holding a lot of these villages together and even if let's say you weren't you weren't a believer but your grandpa was a believer and you walked Every time you walked past the church where your grandpa went, you think, oh, that's my grandpa's church. That, he, he likes that place. It makes me happy because I know that he finds comfort in that place. And then one day your grandfather's church is destroyed. So that hurts you too. So even if you don't believe, it, could hurt, it can hurt you indirectly because of how it affects people that you love. And that it, it's so... It's such a harsh, it's such a harsh way to live. Cars. Only the Dacia was allowed. It was a Romanian vehicle. There was a sports car version that Nikolai allegedly drove around in, which was bunk. The car barely, always broke down all the time, and that was a total myth. Um, he probably didn't even know how to drive. Um, there was a seven-year waiting list for a car. And you never knew, like, really what model you were going to get or if it would be in good condition. So here's how they here's how they rationed your driving, too. So only cars with even number plates were allowed to drive on weekends. But... So if you had an odd number license plate, then you could drive on five days of the week. So I don't know. It's kind of a catch-22. And you weren't allowed to drive on weekends, though. It's just so wild. So the only day that you could have warm water was on, quote, election day, where... Nikolai would win by a 99% landslide every single time. They they were very concerned. Nikolai and Elena were very concerned about their image, which is so funny because they're so, they were just so ugly. 
Um, I was, you know, one of the things that occurred to me, I was like, why didn't they just get plastic surgery? They could afford it. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, so rather than that, rather than get plastic surgery, uh, they would just have their photos touched up um, to make them seem like, you know, they were always young and always in good health. And that, you know, they never had any wrinkles or anything like that. If there was a portrait of, of Nikolai showing only one of his ears, it was banned for some reason. <laughs> so who knows? I guess they didn't want anyone to think that he had only one ear. Probably something as mundane as that. Uh, the, uh, Elena was very concerned about the size of her posterior. She had a large butt, which, I mean, you know, that might have been actually her best feature. <laughs> but um, she was she was very obsessed with, you know, being the most attractive person in the room, which was just awful because if you were any, if you were it was very easy to be more attractive than her. And so she would edit, she would just force people to edit out any film footage that had anyone that was more attractive than her. So usually she's often the only woman in, in any film footage of her, um, that is controlled by Romania. They also had a, um, in their, in their palaces, they also had these gold, gold fixtures, which in the, in their bathrooms, which there's a lot of hype over that, that, that part is kind of ironic because it turns out it wasn't real gold. So let's just squash that rumor. More, more importantly were the weird sits baths and, uh, elaborate bidets and colonics contraptions and, all other forms of water treatments in their bathrooms that were installed to help stimulate weight loss in Elena. Um, I guess none of it really worked. She just had the same figure the whole time. They had three children, the Ceausescu's, Valentin, Zoya, and Niku. And they were, of course, highly educated. They were educated in England at some point um, in different boarding schools and then finished out their higher learning in universities in Romania. So one was a physicist, one was a mathematician. Uh, let's see here. Valentin was a physicist. Zoya was a mathematician. And Niku was also, he was, I believe, also was a physicist. Um, even though Niku was the youngest, he was the one that was slated to be the successor of Nikolai. All the children had bad drug and alcohol habits. They were constantly under surveillance, though, too, by the Securitat. So they were, it was, it was kind of weird. They were always surrounded by secret police. Niku was the worst of them all and he even and he was the youngest one too he was the one that was supposed to be the successor he um 
at this point I'm going to actually insert a trigger warning what I'm about to say from this point on uh, is there's going to be some things that might be very disturbing for younger and more sensitive viewers so if you have if you have a, a deep sensitivity or if you are under the age of 18 I I would like to, I would like to tell you to turn off the podcast for today okay Moving forward, so Nikolai was the terror of of Romania in a way, um, and it shows the lack of respect for his fellow citizens that he was raised in. That he was raised to believe that he was so much better than everybody else. He was known for raping women. He was a rapist. He would have these lavish kind of bacchanalia situations where he would rape every woman there. And I'm not joking. This is not a joke. I'm not making this up. There's, I just need to clarify that because it's so, it's such an atrocity. He was also, on top of it, a total wimp. So when Nikolai and Elena were arrested, the children were arrested too in their various palaces. And Niku had taken children hostage and used them as a human shield. It didn't work. But he was also known to, he was known to torture people randomly for amusement for his own personal amusement he was a horrible person and that was who was going to be the next ruler of Romania if anything were to happen to Nikolai okay so I want to leave this on the start of the revolution and then on Christmas Day we will tackle the revolution so you have people you have the people of Romania they've had everything taken away from them and replaced with ersatz inedible food inedible i mean <laughs> unlivable living conditions poor quality of life 20,000 children dead in orphanages from neglect and abuse due to the mandate of five children per family punitive taxes were imposed upon people who could not meet the five child quota there was no way to properly feed five children on what you were given ration wise and the standard of living was as such that you that it was just impossible to support five children. So a lot of the kids in those orphanages were pretty much just left to die. And they were divided into three categories, curable, partially incurable, and incurable. So the incurable children, maybe someone 
who had cerebral palsy, for example, um, they had the worst conditions of all. So you have that scourge, that societal scourge hanging over your head as well. They aren't allowed to travel outside the country. There is constant surveillance. There is an atmosphere of hostility and jealousy towards your neighbors and from your neighbors, which comes from desperation and most likely from starvation. And you're basically just, you have to grin and bear it and pretend you have all this love for this great leader who is a megalomaniac and his horrible wife. I mean, let's put it this way. Nikolai and Elena were, were practically illiterate. And I'm not saying that because you're, if you can't read that you're a horrible person, I'm saying they needed more education. They needed more, they needed to, they needed more information about the outside world, you know, in, in, in how, in the ways of the world and how it worked in order to govern this small country because they, they mishandled it in the extreme and, and that's being really nice. Elena's fake awards, her fake credentials, what a joke. What a slap in the face to science. Having, you know, so can you imagine like someone just coming in who can barely read and, you know, finds out you're a scientist and they're like, write my paper. Write my paper. I'm going to be a scientist now. What a great way to denigrate your own profession. So you have these goons making a mess of your country and just treating you like a toy basically like it was like they treated Romania like a train set or something or a sims game because they're completely disconnected with the humanity of the people in their country so remember I was telling you guys about the religious freedom well that's kind of what started the whole thing there was an ethnic Hungarian living in Romania. Uh, his name was Laszlo Tokesh. And he was a very, very popular preacher. Uh, he also, in his sermons, spoke for human rights and advocated for personal freedom in his sermons. And they gave a lot of hope to the people who listened to them that they could go on another day and that, that there would be a chance for, for freedom someday. So they tried to look, the government tried to locate him to a smaller village and kind of to downgrade his influence, but it didn't work. He was popular wherever he went. People already knew who he was when he got to the next village. So on December 15th, they attempted to evict Laszlo from his church. 
the Securitat did. And his home was surrounded by hundreds of people in protest. And inside that home, his wife was going into labor. She was pregnant with a baby. But it was too dangerous for her to leave because they were afraid that she would be killed. It was a legitimate fear. Or that would open, for them to open the door would, would be to, you know, possibly cause like a floodgate of secret police coming in and and torturing them. The mayor stepped in and he said that, you know, Tokesh would not be evicted. Don't worry, everybody go home. But that didn't work. Nobody believed anybody. So everybody stayed. And at first they were singing hymns, and then they started singing old protest songs and songs, Romanian anthems that were not even allowed to be sung. They started singing those. And the this small step towards freedom by protecting what they cared for in this small way it showed it showed um it showed the rest of Romania that a, re- a revolution was about to begin and it was very powerful and it spread and the securitat killed about i think 1100 people in that were protesting they opened fire on them and just killed them in cold blood randomly and many many more thousands were injured in this this violent revolution probably one of the most violent revolutions of this era you know this was the late 80s this is when communism was kind of coming down and the Ceausescu's thought that they could continue to just coast through they were out of touch with other communists even they were not updating their policies at all. Whereas you had Gorbachev, who had coined the word glasnost, which meant basically freedom within the communist, you know, era, the new communist era. And he was, he was the new darling. He was the one who was actually making a change. And he was able to, to outcharm Ronald Reagan who at the time was seen as probably one of the most charming presidents we'd ever had. So he he was a formidable contemporary, you know, he was a formidable peer in in the uh, political world and and that's something that the Ceausescu simply were not. They and it shows how clueless they were. You know, you have the Berlin Wall falling down. We have all these changes. Communism is going, you know, is is crumbling. It's literally crumbling. And it's, you know, and the symbols of communism are, are crumbling. New alliances are being forged. And, you know, here you are. You know, you and Kim Il-sung just acting as if nothing happened and not making any changes. So change was bound to come. I've got to get ready for shipping and I have to abandon a project. I 
found a whole bunch of raccoon tails and I was going to make a coat out of it and I realized that's impractical. I don't have time for that. So I'm actually going to have to to donate those raccoon tails today <laughs> just to get them out of my sight. And I've got to make another sweater. And then I'm going to Paulina and Mike's house tonight for their Christmas feast. I'm really excited. So hang in there. Revolution is coming on Christmas Day. I can't wait to tell you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you guys have a peaceful and joyful holiday. And prepare for a prosperous new year. I'll talk to you in two days. Bye-bye.